0: Oh, Good morning, you guys. Well, uh, geez, where to begin after you just see God move so powerfully. I think, the uh, Tim announced that I'm doing the prayer ministry training this afternoon at four, you should come. I, there's just something on here right now that is pretty powerful. You should come. And we also need some sick people to come, because... Uh, We need to make you well. And so, uh, I'm serious. It's not just me talking forever. talk for a little while, and we practice. And we see God move. We always see Him move. And so, that's 4 o'clock today. Uh, Last week, I just got to take a second to do that. Hey, Jay, come on up here a second. I just prayed for Jay. And uh, I just want you to give a little testimony. Last week, uh, we prayed for a bunch of people. Because that was the leading of the Lord. Uh, And did anybody get healed, either partially or fully, from prayer last week? Is anybody here who uh, received a a healing from the Lord? We want to give him thanks. Not here? Okay, that's all right. Did anything happen in the room back there, brother? Oh, yeah, you told some things that was in my heart. The Holy Spirit definitely spoke through you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the Lord did touch me, and um, yeah, my leg is better, and <laughs> I expect it to be fully recovered. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love you. Don't try this at home, you guys. I'm a tra- <laughs> trained professional. I lost my clip now. I'll just switch to guns here. Oh here it is. Never mind. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna use this Mitch. Uh Kevin. Sorry. <laughs> Mitch is his home group name. <laughs> sorry. I can't believe I called you that in public. Okay. You know when you have like more than one Kevin in your home group or whatever, you just give people other names and just makes it easier. So <laughs> he's Mitch. Oh, my goodness. Well it's Thanksgiving. Hey, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to have one day of gluttony. Uh, you know, gluttony is listed in the Old Testament as one of the seven deadly sins, and we, like, make a national holiday out of it, and, and then we Christianize it, you know? We go, well, we good Christians, we need to take a day off work so we can give thanks and eat pounds and pounds and pounds of food, right? And then have a coma time. Uh, on, on the couch afterwards, a tryptophan coma. Oh my goodness. And you know, it's a time of thanks. I think it's really great that we set aside a day to really focus on being thankful. I think that's fantastic. It's, it seems a little forced though, doesn't it? It's like you will be thankful on Thursday. Some of you guys are going to go to places where somebody around the big table has this great idea, and they go, let's just go around the table, and I'll share something that we're thankful for. I'm sorry if that's, why are you, why are you, is, <laughs> I see people going, you're going to do that, aren't you? And and it's fine if you do, I just want you to know that <laughs> it's weird, Right? <laughs> And that's why I don't ask you guys to like, hey, say the God loves you to your neighbor or something. You know, I just don't do that preacher stuff because that is just forced weirdness. And so, anyway, but it's like an enforced Thanksgiving. It's like you will be thankful on Thursday. It's kind of like when kids come for trick or treat, you know, and you give them the candy, and uh, they're so oh, they're so happy. But they, you can hear their parents say, "Say thank you." Say thank you. I know a lot of you guys are like weirded out about Halloween and stuff. That's fine. I respect that. I don't like dress up like Satan or anything like that. I, I just like to wear my regular clothes. I just like to give out candy to kids. I think it's a really neat moment. Because you can bless them and you don't even have to say anything when you're putting candy into their little plastic pumpkins and stuff. You can, you can just Pray a prayer of blessing on them as they come and on their parents. And so, you know, where we live, nobody comes because our driveway is a half a mile long. Nobody comes. And so we always have to go to one of our kids' houses so they're grown with their own kids. And we sit on the porch and we hand out candy at their house because kids come there because they're regular. You know, they live in like a regular neighborhood. And uh, I just love that. It's just, but, but. Time and time again, you know, the kid comes and he's all happy. And then some parent says, did you say thank you? And sometimes they'll send him back. You get up there and you tell that man thank you. And they're like, mm. You know, the little princess comes back up. Thank you. It's a forced Thanksgiving. I think that, you know, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians or 1 Thessalonians, I'm kind of a little slightly drunk in the spirit right now, so... Some of this may not make sense, but um, there's in one of the Thessalonians, I'm going to go with 1st, chapter 5, verse 18. It says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That doesn't help me because it just says give thanks because it's the right thing to do. Give thanks because it's the right thing to do. I'm not motivated by that. I'm not motivated by that. You know what I'm motivated by? Is that when I do something, I see God do something. So what if I told you that there was a better reason for intentionally giving thanks to God than just because it's the right thing to do? Would you want to hear about it? I hope so, because that's what we're going to talk about. Because some of you uh, use that devotional Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, which is just such a great, great thing. And uh, uh, on Tuesday, you're going to read this one on November 22nd. It says, she says, a thankful attitude opens windows of heaven. Spiritual blessings fall freely onto, uh, onto you through those openings into eternity. That a thankful attitude, a thankful heart, a thankful expression, she says, opens the windows of heaven. That something happens with God, when we get thankful that the oh, sorry that the windows of heaven are open and God pours stuff out in response to authentic thanksgiving. Don't you want to say, "Is that true? One, two, three. It is true. I, I, there are three places in the Gospels where Jesus shows us that that is exactly true. One of them is in Mark chapter 6, verses 35 through 44. And it's a familiar passage to many of you. It's a passage that talks about how Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families, meaning probably 25,000 people or so, with what? Five loaves and two fish. That's a big day, isn't it? I mean, there there should be something there for us as present-day believers. And that's what's going on here. So what happened was that a large crowd, a very large crowd, had come to hear Jesus. Because that's what happened at this point in his ministry. Lots of people were coming to hear him. And it says in verse 35, By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. Here's what they said. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. In other words, these people have been here a long time. They're hungry. Stop talking. <laughs> Basically, stop being Jesus <laughs> for a little while so that these people can take care of themselves so that they can go to the surrounding villages and get something to eat. But Jesus answered them, Well, you give them something to eat. <laughs> I know. And they said to him, well, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? In other words, they said, I suppose we could do that. We have a treasury. Judas, as you may or may not know, was actually the treasurer when he was accused of being a crooked treasurer by the other disciples. But in any case, they had a treasury, which was common among rabbis and their disciples because they had to eat. Well, apparently this was a pretty good store if they had eight minutes of a person's wages that they would say, you know how much of our money that's going to take, Lord, right? But this was their solution. Well, then Jesus said in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. So they're out searching around through all these gathered people. It says when they found out, they came back with these numbers, five and two fish. Five loaves, two fish. (laughs) That's all the food that was left among these people who had been listening to Jesus for so long. Five and two fish. And so, you know, they're obviously at the place of going, now send them away to the towns and villages so that they can get something to eat, right? But then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So the whole group, the mass of people, was kind of subdivided into rather large clumps of people. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. He gave thanks, and then he broke the loaves. Something happened when he gave thanks. He didn't give thanks and then pray some big prayer over the things. He didn't like do some Jesus dance or some, something that only Jesus could do. He just gave thanks. And then he handed this stuff out, and everybody ate. Every, not only did everybody eat, there were, 12, there were leftovers. He gave too much thanks. He gave thanks. He, that's what it says. I mean, deal with it, you guys. It's what the Bible says. It says he gave thanks, and then he gave it out. Something happens when you give thanks, authentic thanks. To me, that's a lot better reason than that's because it's the right thing to do because I'm supposed to be polite. To me, in the dynamic of my walk with God, it's saying that if I cultivate a heart of thanks and the expression of thanks, that stuff is going to happen, that God things are going to occur in front of me like people getting healed that things are going to happen because I gave thanks I want you to notice some things about this passage first of all I want you to notice that Jesus used a miracle to meet a very normal need I mean these people were just hungry they were just, you get hungry if you don't eat true so you got all these thousands of people who were so hung on Jesus words and what he was doing, that they didn't eat. And so this time had gone by so that they were normally hungry. And the disciples tried to solve that problem normally by saying, Lord, if you just take a break for a little while, these people can hustle off to the villages, get some to eat, and then come back. We can continue. And that was a norm, that there actually was a, a logical solution to it. Just send them away. And the Lord said, well, why don't you guys give them something to eat? And then they said, well, we could. We could solve this problem if you're willing for us to spend that much money. So in two ways, this was a really normal problem that could have been solved with normal means. You follow? But what did Jesus do? He did a miracle. He chose to do a miracle to meet a normal need now i want you to get hold of that believers because i think in america we kind of reserve the miracle stuff the move of god for when we just can't do it anymore it's like i i can't do this anymore i don't i don't have the means to meet this need i'm at the end i have a terminal diagnosis my spouse is leaving my boss tells me i'm not going to work here after next week we wait till we We wait till we get to that kind of place. And then we say, God, I need a miracle. When Jesus is doing this thing where he says, well, I'd like to give you lunch by a miracle. I would like to meet normal needs in your life by my intervention. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been out there. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. And you've seen God do it. I just wanted to point that out. The second thing I want you to notice about this passage is that when Jesus gave thanks, He looked up to heaven. Verse 41, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and broke the loaves. He looked up to heaven. I mean, what's going on there? Was it this is the classic sort of heaven above, earth in the middle, and hell below thing? I don't think that's what's going on at all. I think what's going on is that Jesus was looking away from what was happening in front of him. He was looking to somewhere else other than the fact there were only five loaves and two fish and all these people. He was looking away from the circumstance, and he was looking up, it says. I'm going to look away. I see all these people. I see this meager food. I see this half-doubting motley crew of disciples i got to look somewhere else. I have to look away from this. And this is what the world is presenting to me. I believe he's saying, I have to look away from this to give thanks. I think it has to do with that concept of our worldview. (laughs) Our worldview. (laughs) I hope I don't (laughs) fall down. It would be very embarrassing if I fall down. It has to do with the concept of our worldview. That where is God in our concept of reality? I want to put a couple of options for worldview. Well, there they are. We have on the left what we would call a natural worldview. On the right, a supernatural worldview. Now, we are born in this day and age and in this culture, we are born into a natural worldview. Our natural worldview says that the big game is science, and science is big. I mean, we have medical science. We have all kinds of technologies that are, we enjoy as a result of science. So our cell phones are science. The lighting in here, the temperature in here is all controlled by the application of scientific understanding. So we'd be foolish to say that science wasn't a thing. But what we're born into is a thought that science is the thing, that science is the thing, and we need to order our lives around the scientific method or around that kind of, a, that kind of an understanding, and that within our lives on the left, with science as being the big main thing. Well, then we, and I just, this is an exhaust of these other things in our worldview. I just pick some things as an example. Our ethics, our money, our health, our family, our career, our world. That these are all somehow controlled, impacted by science. And that now, because we still have a spiritual hunger in us, don't we? We're going, yeah, I'm an I'm a aware person. I use science. I drove here today because of science. I get that. But now I still have this hunger inside of me that my cell phone isn't meeting. You know you know what I'm talking about? That That, 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 that the science life, that the life around me, that the culture, the technology, it's great. I love it. Some of us are going to love to be able to put 325 on the oven and shove a turkey in there and forget about it for four hours, right? That's science. That's great. But at the end of the day, we're still hungry. We're still like, But what about this sense of eternity that I have inside of me? What am I going to do with that? The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. He put that inside of you to draw you to himself. He put that inside of you so that you would seek him. And so what about that? Well, so what we typically do in the present-day Western world is we make a circle for God. Well, right? I mean, we say, okay, I'm listening to what you're saying about the Bible thing, about after the science part of my life is over, I'm going to go to a heaven thing, and that in the meantime, one of the major components of my life needs to be a circle for God. Trouble is, that has to be a small g God, because there's stuff that's bigger than it, particularly science. And so in this worldview, we try to, kind of say yeah i have this spirituality that is somehow connected to science but science is the big game and so we make a circle for god and so we come to church sometimes we have to go to lots of different kinds of churches so that we can learn about the little god who fits in the circle right because if you notice this about the real god he don't like circles he doesn't like to fit inside of boxes that we make for him Because on the right, he is the circle. And so when we live in this left worldview, we say, wow, here's my life. Here's what I'm facing. I need science to help me. But science then has a limit. At some point, they say, I'm sorry, we can't help you anymore. Science can't help you because it's limited. It's finite. And so we get the little God circle. We call out to the little God circle. And we say, God circle, I need you to bounce around and see if you can take on science for me. But it's smaller than in that worldview. And so we go away disappointed and we go away still hungry. Now switch over to the right side. What about a supernatural worldview that says, agrees with the scripture, that says, in God we live and breathe and have our being? That we're actually, that the circle the reality, the substance of your reality is actually God, not science. That it's actually the person of God. And that with inside of that, then, you put those other things, and that in this scenario, God is over science. That God is over science. Science is still important. Sometimes, many times, God uses the scientific advancements as blessings in our society. But on the right-hand worldview, it's God who's behind the science. And so when you approach your life, you're approaching it as God first, and then all the other things second. Now, if you go back to the left side, this natural worldview that is so difficult to maintain. It's a very high maintenance worldview because we're still hungry for God. We're confused. We're up and down. That if you look on this left side, if you just take the God circle out of the left side worldview, that's a secular worldview. That's what's called a secular worldview. There's no no God. It's just here we are for this space of time. Nobody can figure out for sure how or why. But while we're here, we're going to We're going to work in a circle that doesn't need to include a concept of God. That's a secular worldview. If you take some of the other things out, like ethics, like meaning, then you have what's called a nihilistic worldview, where it's like nothing really matters. I don't even know what we're doing here. It's a slippery slope on the left side, and you're never quite satisfied. Until we embrace this, what I think is the biblical worldview—that God is God and that everything else is subject to God—does that make any sense? So here's what I think happened. Back to the thanks and the lobes thing, is that when Jesus looked up, he was just looking away from the science. He was just because there was just this big yellow circle in front of him, wasn't there? That said. 5,000 men and their families, five loaves, two fish, doubting disciples. Great. you got to look away from that. But what do you look away to? You look away to the Father in this case. You look away to the Father. And that's what he did. Supernatural just means bigger than natural. You ever supersize your meal at McDonald's? He said, yeah, I'll supersize that rascal. You betcha. And you got a bigger meal than what you would have got, right? Supernatural just means bigger than natural, so that the natural part fits inside of the super part. The super part is God. He's not a piece of the life. He is a life. And I think that's what Jesus was doing. Was he wasn't searching around for the God dot. He was looking away from the science dot to God who fills the rest of it. Third thing uh, I want you to notice about this is that Jesus simply gave thanks for what he had. <laughs> he, just, he just said, thank you. I'm sure glad we got five loaves and two fish, right? I mean, what if they would have come back and said, we couldn't find any food at all. We have this Snickers wrapper we found out in that group, but that's all we have. I mean, what if he wouldn't have had it, but he just took the five loaves and the two fish, and he gave thanks for what he had. And he he looked away from it, and he said, thanks, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the five loaves and the two fish. And it turned out to be more than enough. He thanked God for what he had. He didn't even ask God to make up for the lack of what he didn't have. Dan, I just want to thank God for you. I want to thank God for the parts of you that are healed, that are good, that are healthy, that are strong. I want to thank God for your feet. I want to thank God for your hands. I want to thank God for the look in your eyes that's saying God could still do this. I want to thank God for that in you, brother. I want to thank God for that. Isn't it so easy to just get caught up into that vortex of, but this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong. He just thanked God for what he had. So he thanked God for what he had, and the windows of heaven opened up, and a very cool miracle happened. Jesus did this two other times. One other time was when he fed the 4,000. That just kind of makes sense, right? But I don't think he's showing us a method. I just think he's showing this is what you do in every case. But the third time that he did it, was in John chapter 11 when he raised Lazarus from the dead. That was a big day for everybody. And there was a point at which Jesus stood in front of the tomb. He said, roll away the stone. Roll it away. Open up that tomb. (laughs) And the Bible says that Jesus prayed. And he prayed aloud. And he said, I'm going to pray aloud so that you can all hear me and see how this works. He said that. And he said, Father, I thank you. <laughs> and he just said, I thank you. Lazarus still dead. And he thanked the Father. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And there's a little bit of movement in the back of the tomb. Can you imagine people who are like standing behind Jesus going, this is out there, this is... We've lost him now for sure. He's speaking to tombs. They sized a little wiggle. Just a... And then standing at the front, the mouth of the tomb, was a dead man in grave clothes. And Jesus said, just the most practical thing. Take off his grave clothes, man. <laughs> Don't stand here with your mouths open. A dead man is living. Give him some living clothes. And it came because he gave thanks. I wonder what thing is waiting to happen for you when you release thanks. It's so easy to get caught up in in the problem, in the world, and the lack. I wonder what's waiting to happen this week when you give thanks. You just release thanksgiving to God. Almost selfishly going, I'm going to do this and see what happens. So I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to spend some a few minutes this morning before you go just giving thanks to God. Just giving thanks to God. We all have things we can be thankful for, and they're pretty much unique to our lives. I get that, but as really seeking the Lord and saying, "But what do we all have in common that we could give thanks for?" And it just took me into a conversation with the Lord that led me to: as believers, we all have in common the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave His life on a cross shed His blood, so that we could have eternal life that begins now. I'm really thankful for that. You may not be thankful for your job. You might not be thankful for your health. You might not be thankful for a number of things. It might be really hard for you to be thankful. But we all have in common that we can be thankful for the cross. Let's thank Him. Lord, we thank You for the cross. We thank You, Lord, for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank You that on a day of the Father's choosing, You allowed Yourself to be turned over into the hands of sinful men, Your words, and allowed Yourself to be falsely accused, allowed Yourself to take the accusation that should have been mine, to take the flogging that I deserved, and to make your way in voluntary love for me to the cross of Jesus where you allowed yourself to be crucified, where your blood flowed one time and yet has spoken in every instant of time since then, has cried out to the kingdom realm that those who come under this cross, those who are spattered by this blood, are forever saved. They are forever belonging to the Father." And we want to live in the power of that now, Lord. We know that at some point the science of our bodies is going to catch up with us. We get that. But we don't fear it, Lord. Because You have conquered death for us. You've made a way for us to have resurrected bodies by the cross. And we thank You for the cross. We thank You for the cross. And we thank You for what's waiting to happen in the meantime, Lord. The ordinary things... We want you to heal Dan. That would be so supernaturally powerful if you would just drive out the cancer in the name of Jesus and cause him to live and and have his whole body restored, Lord. We also want you to buy us lunch. We also want you to make our carpet. I don't know what, Lord. Just the regular stuff. We want to become men and women who shift our thinking. Who embrace this worldview that you're, you're in everything. Everything else is subject to you, your power, your will, your love. We want to thank you, Lord. Thank you for the cross. So I'd like to invite some, prayer ministry people to come on up, if you will, please. Just make yourself available to pray for anybody for any reason. I want you to leave this door space open here because I'm going to go back into the room. (laughs) That room is just for healing and salvation. If you're a person who would like to receive prayer for healing, (laughs) you're walking so straight. (laughs) That's crazy. If you'd like to give your life to Christ, if you're at a point in your life where you go, I want to be one of those people who are under the cross... I want to shift from death to life. I want to ask Christ into my life. Come into that room. You can come to these people for other things too, those things and other things, but I'm just telling you what I'm doing back in that room, okay? I love you guys. I am thankful for you guys. I am so thankful for you guys in all of your glorious imperfections. Remember, I know you look at me and you see mine. Multiply my view. But I thank God for you. I pray a release of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life right now where you sit. I pray the power of God to come and to solidify in every way, every part of your life, your relationship with Him through the power of the cross. Kingdom come, Lord, into this room. In the name of Jesus. Church, so we just stand together and spend a few minutes thanking Jesus.